Eventually Super Train, episode 107. Yes, I'm your host. This is a short-lived TV show podcast. We discuss short-lived TV shows that never got enough love. We do three, generally, we cover three shows at a time. And we go one episode at a time. And uh, eventually we will, we will, we will, we will cover Super Train. Uh, but look look at it. Uh, the, the, the way it works is like this. So this episode, we are starting off with uh, the great, my good friend Amy the Conqueror and myself discussing episode 5 of Planet of the Apes, the live action series from the mid-70s. And then my good friend Mitchell Hadley and myself will be discussing episode, jeez, 8 of Search, a spy show, circa 72. And then um, I call her Madeline Marlowe. She's a, she's a detective I live with. Her and a dog named George. George will be there, but he, he may not say much. But Madeline and I uh, will be discussing episode 5 of The Singing Detective, which aired in 1986. And we go through each show, one episode at a time. And, and con, con, I, I've, I've said this before, but this is the way I'm kind of looking at it now. Consider this to be like three mini podcast within like an umbrella within a larger podcast that like i mean that's the way cliffhangers the show that i based um this off of um was you know cliffhangers if it had run for multiple seasons where it started with the curse of dracula and what is it um the uh stop susan williams and the secret empire you know at the end of the first season all those three would have been done and there would have been all new things going on and that's the way sort of this is eventually super train is the umbrella name for three podcasts and this one is ape cast search cast and the singing detective podcast i guess is is are the names i just made up for so anyway this is um where we are now and we are going to do some Planet of the Apes action as I said going to episode 5 listen to this
Planet of the Apes, Episode 5, The Legacy, aired October 11th, 1974. Uh, written by Robert Hammer, directed by Bernard McVitie. In this one, uh, Verdon, Burke, and Galen are in the ruins of Oakland, California, and they find a uh, message from humans kind of trapped away, hidden away, that um, it purports it's going to give them secrets, it's going to give them assistance on, you know, they're going to learn about uh, what happened um, to their civilization, and they may, something may come of this. Uh, what ends up happening is one of the guys... Um, well, yeah. The basically the apes find out about it, and and one of the guys and Galen have to kind of keep the apes away from it, while one of the other guys is. Um, uh, let me let me get the names. I I still don't quite know the names of all these guys. It is, it is Verdon, Alan Verdon. He's the one. Uh, he, uh, Verdon ends up in sort of a strange prison with a woman and a young boy, and uh, held in there by the apes. And so they're trying to get out, and they're all trying to. Get, learn more about what this this thing is what this legacy is uh that this um this is a hologram and and information and um i i i, I won't go too much further into that but just this is just um it's a very hopeful episode that we might learn about more what happened to humanity in the end and um but there's also a conniving little kid and some trouble going on so uh amy and i go into it pretty pretty hefty in our discussion so uh let me play a little blast of music and we will be on the other side the legacy episode five of planet of the apes the live action tv series we're in 1974 and i am here in 2021 i was gonna say 2121 i don't know what the hell i'm talking about 2021 with the great amy the conqueror amy how you doing i'm doing okay dan how are you i'm doing all right um I would like, now um uh, the, the last episode we were both kind of uh, a bit disappointed in it's not a, not a um not not a bad episode of television but just kind of eh. uh, what did you think of this one did it did are you suddenly excited about the whole show again or are you like mm, where's this going or how how you feel uh, this was a much better episode i thought yeah I, <laughs> the last one kind of threw me so i wasn't super psyched to watch it if it was going to be you know much of the same, but I, I feel like yeah. this episode was a lot better, and um, I like that they went back to the city. Mm-hmm. I like that they added, you know, back in the idea of getting home and a way to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, I guess overall, I do have a, a confession to make though Uh-oh. about this one. Yeah. Um. So you know, people of our age grew up watching the Bad News Bears. Sure. <laughs> And all those movies. Um, so I recognized Jackie Earl Haley right away. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's the guy for, or the kid from the Bad News Bears. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not know his name or that he was Jackie Earl Haley until oh. today. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> so so yeah, I just wanted to come clean on that because oh. I was like, how did I not know that guy's name <laughs> all these years? Because it's been like forty years. Yeah. <laughs> I um yeah I know him clear the but, air on that yeah yeah no I think I think I uh I know I obviously I know him from from Bad News Bears too I know him from um there's an episode of the sitcom Get a Life with Chris Elliott where he plays the um he plays the cousin that everybody loves who comes to like a family reunion and he's smarmy and kind of gross <laughs> and hilarious I gotta see that. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's I forget which episode. It's 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 in the first season, and I want to say it's like someone's name, and it's it's like he just shows it's it's he's hilarious in it. And Chris like he's 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 kind of as gross as Chris Elliott is in the in the show, and they're just kind of it's a wonderful match. Of, uh, of <laughs> episode. But um, you know, I uh, we we like to keep it controversial sometimes here, folks. But I got to say, I enjoyed this one more too, and I I enjoyed it more because um, uh, the it was the addition just of the there's actual like suspense and there's like stuff that happens you know the 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 thing about the thing about the previous episode was that you knew that the like the gorillas were there lurking about but but there was never what it felt like to me was until the episode needed them to show up there was no worry they could the guys the guys and i actually have their first names written down here right alan and peter last time i wrote their last names down (laughs) Yeah, I, I go back and forth. Okay, um, so like, like in the in the last episode, there was never a feeling that they were in danger because that one ape was just just complaining too much, and you never felt like the 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 ones who were looking for them were going to get there until the story said now it's time for them to get there. But this one has more of a feeling of um, uh, there's more suspense, there's more excitement to it, and the fact obviously that Alan gets caught and thrown into more or less like a prison. And 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 kind of uh, uh, builds the suspense and the the excitement of it, and and it is interesting. I mean, because they because they do travel with Galen, and we do see all the 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 apes who and the gorillas and such who are after them. It's it's nice to spend a little time with um, a couple of humans just to see how downtrodden and just like miserable they are, and the the fact that they can help them. I mean, th- this one, I will say with this episode, I got the warm fuzzies at the end of it like I did with the last episode, but I thought this episode earned it. And and the moment, the moment, that moment in the end where um, Alan says to, um, um, geez, I forget Jackie Earl Haley's character's name. I'm just, call, I'm going to call him. Great, I think it was. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I, I, uh, I, I'll, I'll call him the kid. <laughs> That'll just be easier. What? <laughs> When he says, when he says to the kid, when they're they're leaving in in the in the end, um, uh, and he says, and, and he, he he does a callback to something at the beginning where he says, there are two times when you shake someone's hand, when strangers meet and when friends say goodbye, God bless you both, and then they go, and I was just like, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's being in my home too long and not going out much or what it is, but I was just like <laughs> that that like that moment. I thought that was really lovely. I thought that was a lovely, lovely moment because when he says it in the beginning, it feels sort of like half a thing. And then when he says it in the end, it sort of completes the circle, as it were. And it's just a lovely, it's just a really nice, nice moment. And, um, and I think, I think, I think, and also too, like you said, the fact that it's, it's in a show like this, we're going to have, and here's my, my, my sorted confession. I've never seen an episode of The Fugitive. We're watching a show that is more or less the fugitive with an ape, right. <laughs> um, but I've never seen an episode of the fugitive. But I love David Jansen. I, I, I Harry O is one of my my favorite uh, shows. Um, but um, I love the fact that they do because you are going to have episodes like the last one that aren't really related to them trying to get answers or get out of there, just them surviving. But I love right. this one. They find the computer. They see the hologram or the image of the old guy, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And there's something about that, too, that adds um, – you kind of know that it's not going to amount to too much because it's far too early in the series for it 
to amount mm-hmm. to much, but it's also exciting when it happens because un- until it doesn't amount to much, it could be anything. And it's 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 fun to have to have the mix of you know um, uh, Peter and Galen trying to put the this battery together trying to bring this thing to, to trying to do their stuff and and the the apes and the gorillas are, are getting hot on their t- tail trail trail tail everything and and um and <laughs> Alan and the kid and the and the lady uh, nice lady are in the are are kind of locked away there and it's um this one does something that that the last episode didn't do I think it has enough incident to justify 50 or so minutes or whatever. Let me look. I got to play in here. 50 minutes, approximately. Mm-hmm. So I think, whereas the previous episode, like you said, does that thing where um, it runs in circles a bit. Where it's like, now we go to Alan. Now we go to Peter. Now this guy's complaining about the cow. Now we go to <laughs> Alan. Now we go to Peter. Now maybe Galen. Now the cow. You know, and it's sort of like, oh, okay, you know, maybe that should have been a half an hour episode of Planet of the Apes, but... I, th- I think I think this one th- this one works really nicely for me because I like because in the last one we got more of the ape society and in this one um, I mean as much as I don't want to because I know as as much as I don't want to say that I found the ape episode a little less interesting than the one that featured humans more this is just a better written episode I think this is better better yeah. be- be- better made episodes so um, what else what else do you have on this? Um, I mean, it was good to see uh, Zayas back and yes. Urko. We don't. I mean, we see him in every episode, but only, you know, here and there. We're mostly seeing Urko's, uh, you know, goon squad basically. Yeah. Um, so it was nice to have them back and see them butt heads a little bit mm-hmm. about how to best get the information off yes. of um, Alan, where you know, Urko's all about force. Let's beat it out of him and. Uh, Zayas is like, no, why don't we try giving him a lady and re- <laughs> recreating his family life yes. and see how that does. Maybe we can soften soften him up that way. Um, so that was kind of interesting. I I did like the little hologram. That was that was fun. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, overall it was it was just a, yeah a much more fun episode, and I, I would imagine, especially as a kid, I would definitely like this better than the last one. Yeah. Um, just for the and the fact that there's a kid in it, um, yes, it, yeah. as bratty as he was, but he may, you know, he may have been yes another you know heartwarming ending where he kind of changes. Mm-hmm. He's not he's not so bad at the end. Yes, um, and they also again threw in farming, so yeah, maybe the, true. the yes. human farm will be a lot better than the the ape farm. I, I actually just imagine like them them cutting to like um like a, a human on a tractor like on the side of a hill waving to them and suddenly falling off the tractor and rolling down the hill. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just like Ellen and Peter be like, "Wow, you guys don't have it either." <laughs> no, did did, not, did I did not a single book survive? I feel like something must have. Jeez. Um, I the the thing I like about the ending is this concept that there's the place the humans can go to where they're okay. Which was just kind of a kind of a neat um, neat idea. It reminded me of um, a movie a few years later uh, with Lee Majors, Chris Makepeace, and Burgess Meredith called The Last Chase. Have you seen that one? I haven't. It's 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 basically the premise is it's set in the future, not too far in the future, but like there's no more oil. It's actually weird because it's kind of a pro oil 
fossil fuel movie, but um, it's uh, but it's got its charms. Um, but it's 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 basically set in the future, and Lee Majors was like the the last of the race car drivers before we ran out of oil. His job now is he uh, he goes to schools and places on the East Coast and tells kids about how awful this oil was and how we need to do whatever it is the people in charge want. And it's kind of like the more you spend time with him, the more you realize this is like become kind of like a totalitarian society and they don't have anything to do with him. They, they don't know what to do with him, so they're having him do this. And he's very unhappy being there. And the bulk of the movie is... I forget exactly how it happens, but he finds someone who was like an outcast from the society has a car and has a supply of gas to get him from the East Coast to the West Coast. And the movie is basically him with Chris Makepeace from Meatballs and, and um, My Bodyguard in the car with him. He, he kind of, not like, he, he comes with a car. You know, I think he, he kind of like stowed away in the car. Um, with him driving across the country as fast as possible. And since he's the only car, he's the only, uh, the only um, uh, one with gas, he's the only one out on the road. So it's basically him like on a cross-country chase just by himself. <laughs> but they send Burgess Meredith in a helicopter to try to kill him. Isn't that the best? And so Burgess know. Meredith... <laughs> And, and so it's basically he's trying to get across the country um, with this limited amount of, of gasoline he has, which is like the last of the gas, last of the gas. And he, he's trying to get across the country, and they've sent this old guy who used to be a fighter pilot in a helicopter to shoot him down and kill him. And it's him racing to the West Coast. And when he – spoiler – when he gets – he's not going to die. I don't think I don't think that's – yeah. when he gets to the West Coast – it's it's a lot like the end of this. It's like it's a world that's like completely separate uh, from the the world that we saw in the first half of the movie. And it's kind of a lovely it's a lovely place, and that seems to be where um, um, the guys are dropping off the kid and the lady at the end of the movie. Kind of like here you'll have some and, and don't they say that what um, when the kid says um it's 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 so quiet oh that's it's just it's peaceful. Or something like that. I forget exactly what the line is, but it's um, it's a it's, yeah, it's it's a it's I, th I think it's a pretty darn good episode. And I'm glad I'm glad they returned to the um, yeah the the concept of trying to get in, get some answers for Alan and Peter because that helps. What did you think of the hologram and and what they were up to? Um, yeah, I mean, I liked that aspect of the story. I, I liked that there was uh, the Oakland Science Institute, <laughs> which I'm assuming <laughs> does not exists in real life i don't think so <laughs> so uh, them you know finding out that there is other places like this throughout the world in other cities you know secret places where they've stored human knowledge i, I mean i think that's great I, I would like to see where that's going yes yes me too um let's see what else what else do you have on this i and i will say yeah the kid can get a bit bratty i understand i mean just the um the way he um he keeps referencing like food. Do you have food? He's a little kid. He's well. He's not a little kid, but he's you know he's um. I don't know how old he is. I can't, I can't judge how old kids are. Is he twelve? Is he thirteen? I don't. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> and so he needs a lot of food. I mean, for energy and such. So getting like locked in an old giant room with, you know, some guy from 1980 and this kind of dour woman. 
um, you know, you I, you can see how you might you know almost um, form an alliance with some gorillas if they give you food. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his I I I got where he was coming from. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, I think Jackie Earl Haley is just known for playing that bratty kid part, especially mm. you know. I mean, this was before Bad News Bears, but. I mean, he just has the look of it. <laughs> he does. So he you, does. You knew he was going to be kind of a, kind of a punk, kind of a problem. Yes. You, you should watch and the that one scene G- where he like freaks out and he's like, "I hate yes. you! I hate, I hate you!" you. Did you think as I did? Well, just go then. Just go. Yeah. Live. Live. <laughs> live. Good riddance. Live. Good riddance. <laughs> No, he does. It's weird. He he does have that look of like I'm a brat. Yeah, yeah that's a yeah. And and I think I think you need to watch that Get a Life episode because when you see him yeah, like f- fifteen years later, he's he's hilarious in it. Well, I right, mean, what? obviously, I had to get caught up on a lot of his career because I did not know, you know, I didn't know who he was. I've heard the yes. name, mm-hmm. and it took me, you know, however old I am now to figure this out. <laughs> Ladies don't speak of their age, uh, exactly. ladies and germs. All right, all right. <laughs> uh, so it's 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 weird because th- this is actually an episode where, as unlike the last one, where I didn't have much to say. I could actually probably talk for another twenty twenty five minutes about this one, but I'm going to try to be cool and not like try. I'm trying that. That's my thing for twenty twenty one or twenty thousand and twenty one. Uh, is that I'm I'm trying not to uh, gab as much. As I have uh, throughout the ages, um, but oh, we uh, shouldn't do that. We like to hear you gab. <laughs> well, I well I did that last chase. Uh, oh, oh, I got I got a thing. I got a thing. Okay, <laughs> um, the the when they wander into the city, you know the old guy that comes out of the building and doesn't say anything. Yeah. Um, I don't know if do do you, do you know him from anything? Did you see him and go, oh my gosh? No, no, I didn't. He plays. Mary Hartman's grandpa in Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, which would begin, which would begin about a year and a half after this. He's the Fernwood Flasher in the, (laughs) in the very first or second episode he's arrested because he just wanders around the neighborhood flashing ladies. But he, he becomes rather charming as the show goes along and that plot line is forgotten. But, but it's the moment I say, it's great because when you see him in there, like, stepping out of this building he looks like he's about to fall over it looks like he's like wow that is what pure geriatric looks like and he's going to drop to the ground but he he's really quite good in mary harman mary harman he's he's a lot of fun and you know he he gets arrested he 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 has a um he has a at one point he has a young girlfriend a social worker falls in love with him and he has all kinds of adventures uh but um that scene i just thought it was funny that he you know, made the effort to go see what was happening, opening the door like he was welcoming somebody, and then just kind of stared at them and shut the door. <laughs> I, I wonder if it, if it's something like, well, I'm, I'm going to go uh, do my daily look out of the building and see if anyone's, holy crap! And then he goes back, and, you know, it's like, I never see, and he's like, go, and maybe there are like eight or nine people in there, and he's like, I, I saw people today. What are you talking about? There's never anyone out there. I saw, yeah, I saw this, uh, this, this, this chimp who had a familiar voice and this bratty little kid. <laughs> and what, uh, what, one more thing, and then I think I'm, 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 I'm good. The, um, I love that, um, that room that Alan and the kid and the woman are are put in. 
because it, it looks like um it looks like um I don't it, it looks like a uh, like a leftover from like the Three Musketeers or um. Oh my gosh! Actually, he's going up the steps here. Is this young Frankenstein? It's like I'm looking at it. Like, where's this set from? You know, because this big—it's this big crazy gothic set. I look at where is this? And even in the, he looks out the window, and there's like a little. Um, suddenly, I'm in like medieval times or something like that. And it's like, where in that city we just street we just saw is this building? Right. <laughs> I would I would love to know what this set is. You know, I'm going to go back and I'm going to I'm going to watch Young Frankenstein and see if the set looks like this cuz this would have been later in the year. And oh and I don't even know what studios made this though. But it's it's weird because he like looks through a um he like looks through a gothic window, you know, and like with bars on it. I'm like are we Count of Monte Cristo? Count of Monte Cristo? Is it Three Musketeers? Is it Young Frankenstein? Where are we right here? Right. But it's I love that they throw them on this set. Um, that that's about it for me. Do you have anything else on this one, Amy? Well, talking about the set, well, it doesn't. I guess it does have to do with the set. Um, is when Burke says uh, when they. Uh, find that building with the columns which is the Oakland Institute of Science or yes. Oakland Science Institute um, they're saying it, it was the Coliseum <laughs> and that's oh, yeah. they fed humans to animals <laughs> and I was like well, wait when did that happen in Oakland <laughs> and like I would have thought it was a library or something yes um, but he went straight to you know oh, it's, it's the Coliseum and <laughs> The kid like, yeah. or uh, Galen was like, oh, what's what did they do there? And he's like, oh, humans bought <laughs> animals for people's, you know, entertainment or something. It's, yes. it's really random. That, um, that so, is, we're yeah. gonna... Where was this set? <laughs> like, yes, I now 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 I really want to know where that where they got where they get locked into because the more I'm looking at that, the more because it's got those great like stone steps that you get in like um haunted house you know or like basements of like or frankenstein's laboratories stuff like that and and yeah that's a uh, i'd love to read um well I, again uh in in the um in the previous our previous discussion i mentioned uh i don't know what do we call them ape files ape addicts people who are who are you know who put together you know all the information on planet of the ape stuff and obviously they're watching this show so i'm wondering what they're thinking of all the stuff we see in this episode you know the coliseum in oakland and this weird gothic lab in the middle of the city street and things like that it's i'm interested and intrigued you're gonna have to find a blog somewhere where they <laughs> I dissect every uh every aspect of the show i bet i bet i you know what i bet there's someone's published a great book Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I, that's that's like um, that's just goes through episode by episode and, and puts everything together. A uh, movie by movie, episode by episode, and puts everything together. I'm uh, also assuming that they did a lot of the outdoor scenes where they did on that other episode earlier in the season, yes. where they and were where they actually, fall through the ground. Yeah. Yeah, where they were actually um, tearing down one of the old sets. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I would like, bet oh, they're back on that set. <laughs> yeah, I would bet they pr they probably are like let's do two or three real quick. Uh, so, do you have anything else on this one? I, I am I am good. No, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I, I do always have these stupid questions where I should just suspend disbelief. But no, please. Where where did the computer get the power? Like all of a sudden, you just flip some switches and this thing's <laughs> full going. You know, like yeah, <laughs> it's been dormant in a 
train station for I don't know how many hundreds of years. Yes, and, uh, I don't even know. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I'd I always like to... wonder stupid things like that. I think you know I I I actually had that thought too. The thing that the thing that made me roll with it was that um, one of the guys, uh, Peter, I think, says something like to Galen, something like. Uh, when Galen says, what is that? And he says, oh, it's some sort of technology or something like that. Long past our time. So I thought maybe there was some sort of um, like cell, like battery cell or some, something in it that, that would store the power and then would okay, reactivate. See, and I'm, I'm be, totally okay with that explanation. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and, and it would it be because really it's only reactivating it for the length of the – uh, help me, Obi Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. If you know yep. the only for that for that thing, right? Where it gives them the directions. Yep. So so that I mean that 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 could be the size of like the battery. When we're seeing the computer, this huge thing there, that could be actually the size of what it would take to store the power for hundreds of years to give it the two to three minutes it needs right. to. Give the I, maybe or maybe not. I don't know. I like you it. Know? I, I don't know. I, you've answered my question, so I'm fine with that. Ladies and gentlemen, let's let's all take a break. No, let's um, <laughs> uh, let's. I'm trying to think if there's anything else about this episode. No, I think I think I'm good. Yeah. So so do you do you, um uh well how about where can we find you online, Amy? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Amy underscore the underscore conqueror. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you again. Yeah, that's another. Uh, that's another ape episode, folks. Isn't this great? Isn't this ape? You're going. You're going ape with me. We're going bananas. It's fantastic. I do wonder. I, I'm hoping Doctor Zayas shows up again. I love. I love his sort of free form work through the way humanity work. You know. You know. I'm looking at this and looking at that, and I'm coming up with this um, idea. And sometimes, he, you know, like his idea with the photo. Um, you know, and and Alan and 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 the wife and child—that's that's wonderful. But then every once in a while he'll come up with something where you're like, "Huh, what?" So I I like the uh, I I like that. Um, so we'll see where are we going next. I forget the name of the episode next, but I bet it's a great title. Search of Midas, Episode 8 of Search, directed by Nicholas Colasanto. I've never said his name out loud. Written by J. Christopher Strong III and Michael R. Stein, aired November 8th, 1972. In this one, uh, uh, Grover, uh, Doug McClure has teamed up with uh, Kate Dawes, played by Barbara Feldon, who's a gossip columnist, and they have to um, basically um, find and he has to prove the existence of a very reclusive billionaire a la Howard Hughes and he has to kind of um he's he's very heavily guarded and he's he's hidden away and they have to kind of find their way into his inner circle just that they need to prove that he is alive for assorted reasons which we will we will get into but that but that's the basic premise of it i know it doesn't sound like much but trust me i, I think it's a pretty good episode so let me play a little music and we'll dive right into this here we are folks the in search of midas chat with my good pal mitchell hadley mitchell how are you sir 
I am well. How are you, Dan? I'm doing okay. Um, let's do, this is the first, uh, second, I'm sorry, C.R. Grover episode, so it's nice to have him back, and we learn a very, very valuable bit of information about him, which we'll talk about uh, shortly. Um, plus, it's uh, as, as I mentioned briefly in the uh, plot breakdown, it's always nice to see 99 show up in an <laughs> yes, episode, <laughs> even, if, even if she's pretending like she's not. We never learned her name in the show no. so this could no. be her for all we know she seems to have an awful lot of access to information yes yeah exactly exactly like she has the information she has here almost f feels like it could be more like um maybe she's part of some spy organization and well, she you know i prefer to uh combine universes whenever possible yes I think I think that's a beautiful idea. I, I and I like I like the thought too that um um ninety nine is happy here because Doug McClure is a little taller than she is, so she doesn't have to spend five seasons, you know, either crouched over or like standing like slightly off in in a distance, so it looks like she's shorter than Don Adams kind of thing. But it was a that's well, it does, let's, let's face it, isn't he a little more? masculine than Maxwell smart he, he kind of is he kind of although I will say Max always looks good in a suit yes he does he, he yes, always he, does. he always looks good in a suit um uh but uh but I think I think that one of the things you can do if you're watching an episode I, I I love get smart it's one of my one of my favorites and um I think that one game to play if you're watching an episode you don't like is to compare the heights of of Max and 99. Because he was much shorter than she was, but you wouldn't know it until you notice it, and then, and then as you can see Barbara Feldman, I'm hunched over, you know, and so it's nice to see her in an episode of television where she, like the first time you kind of see her when she's strolling out to see um, Grover, she's like she's standing real tall, yes, in yes. a way, in a way that she kind of doesn't when she's in gets like whenever she enters like the chief's office in the beginning of an episode or something, she's always a little. Crouched. I don't know how tall um, the chief was, Ed Platt. Um, I think, but um, but you know, she's always like she's a little crouched over, and they just gotta just, just you know get smart. A series of short men. Eh, what are you gonna do? <laughs> so what what did you th what did you think? And you can talk more about Barbara Feldman all you want. What did you think of the episode overall? Well, you know, I thought it was a fun episode, and um, as the cultural maven of classic television, putting everything in its context. I think that this is an episode that we really need to take a, a brief, deep dive into what things were like at the time that this episode was made, because the thing that just screams out loud to me when we look at this mysterious wealthy man that no one has seen Yes. For some time, Howard Hughes. Yes, yes. And it, and you have to really appreciate. It's hard to understand right now today what um, fascination there was at this particular time in history with Howard Hughes. You know, you had, for one thing, Clifford Irving had just tried his hoax biography of Hughes and had been uncovered, and that was in 1971. Then you have Diamonds Are Forever, yes. where you have Jimmy Dean as Willard White as Howard Hughes, mm -hmm. and that's in this time frame. 
and you, you anywhere you looked at that particular point in time you had the Hughes Television Network, the Hughes Sports Network, Hughes Tool and Die, Hughes Air. There was this entire conglomeration of businesses that Hughes had his name attached to. He owned part of Las Vegas. He owned golf courses. He was, and no one had seen him for a long time. And so he was this, this mystery man that people were absolutely fascinated with. And they would speculate on what he looked like right now and where he was and what he was doing. Was he even alive? And Hughes had his, um, had his little fiefdom. Mm -hmm. And I think that in this case, we're looking at a perfect analogy for Hughes. This, mm -hmm. this, uh, and, and and really the way the episode plays out, and I won't give the ending away, but the way the episode plays out would be perfectly compatible, I think, with something that Hughes would do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I'm glad you mentioned Diamonds Are Forever because that's a thought I got too because I, I just recently rewatched that, and um, and that's it's Vegas, it's the Howard Hughes esque character. Um, yep. And, um, oh, wait a minute. I just, something else just flashed through my mind. Oh, of course, this is around the time of, uh, Night Stalker to the original yep. Night, Night Stalker. Yep. So that's Vegas too. And, um, uh, I, I love the, the, one of the things I, I love about the episode, the deeper you get into it is just the constant sort of, um, well, there he is. No, he isn't. That's not him. Oh, there he is. Nope. That's not it. And it just keeps going until it it literally can't go anymore. Like the episode ends. So, which I like. Yeah, and that, that's. I don't know if that's a spoiler per se. No, that isn't because I didn't tell you whether or not they find him. But it just kind of. Right. And it's just great because it's like, oh, they found him, or did they? No, yeah, there <laughs> he is. Not really. And it's it's kind of um. It's 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 kind of. I I like I like the way they do it. I always like when they can keep keep pulling it back one more. You know, yeah. throwing one more curtain open. Sort of. Well, as you it know, were. even even um, his henchman is uh, what what is it? is that uh, Major Matthews? Major Matthews, is yes, that, yes, yeah. George Gaines, yeah, yeah. Yes, you know, even there, you've got the parallels to Noah Dietrich, who was Hughes's right hand man, who always appeared in public whenever Hughes mm -hmm. was doing something, and uh, Dietrich was always the face of the Hughes Corporation. So it. Uh, it's remarkable that uh, the, the parallels you can find here, but I think I think as you've suggested too, it's just important for people watching this today to realize that people were so fascinated then by Hughes that this is clearly not a not a ripoff of Hughes, more like an homage to yes. him that that he was America's favorite man of mystery. Yes, for, for for a brief period. Uh, well, well, actually, for a brief period of time. I mean, um, you know, I, I forget what season it was in the '90s of The Simpsons has one where um, Mr. Burns becomes like yes. Howard Hughes with his with his feet in um, Kleenex boxes and um, uh, I, I, doing all kinds of crazy stuff and bothering Smithers. You know, and then the <laughs> um, the classic uh, uh, George Romero Stephen King film Creepshow in 1982. The final segment in that. E.G. Marshall plays a Howard Hughes type guy who um, whose uh, sort of sterilized apartment is 
I'm not going to say crawling with roaches because that kind of gives the ending away, but may have a roach problem. And so he's it's 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 funny mm. that like that is sort of you know you get you get tropes like you know two characters get handcuffed together. You know, two care. You know, there's a someone in town looks like someone else. You know, a long lost relative is coming to visit, and the plotline of like there's some sort of really weird rich guy or just strange guy who no one ever sees and is mysterious. That comes from Howard Hughes. That that sort of trope, which doesn't pop up everywhere, but has popped up in plenty of places. <laughs> that it it it's noteworthy. And Cam is falling so right into this, you know. He's so excited. He does, and and he gets frustrated because uh, they, you you know, that he's hoping to trap, Mm. trap them into finding out if this is really him, and he thinks that he's got them when when um, Grover arranges for the meeting. meeting. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But then it turns out he's on video. We can't yes. monitor the life signs from a video. And then he thinks, well, you know, Grover, you've got it. You've trapped him into having to sign this in your presence. Well, no, they send the contract or they, they send the statement through a pneumatic tube. Yes. So there's no record that he actually signed it. And he's he's being foiled at every turn. And he's starting to, you know, between bites of his donut, which yes. you to believe that he does not eat very well. Here's no. a man who's probably working 20 hours a day and he grabs whatever he can. When I bet there's a, can. a cart, a cart goes by. There's a coffee lady who goes by with the cart. She doesn't look around. She doesn't, she's not interested in what you're doing. She's just got some coffee, some donuts. And that's just, what she does. Look straight ahead. Yes, exactly. Because yep. that's like the, at least the second or third time we've seen him with like a styrofoam cup of coffee and like halfway through a, like a glazed donut. And he's always fascinated by food when he sees it on yes. the screen too. Yes, you would you would think they'd allow him like some sort of something on an expense report or something where he could get like maybe he does get like one good meal per shift. We just don't um, see. Maybe everyone gets treated like maybe once a day like a caterer comes in or something like that. We just don't see it. I don't well, know. Well, you know, it, it's it's like uh, Agent Cooper says, you've got to treat yourself once a day. Do something nice for yes. yourself. Yes, exactly, exactly. You, you would think something like that would happen because I'd hate to have, um, you know, like if Cameron came in with like a bag lunch, you oh. know, something like, oh, egg salad again. Yeah. yeah uh, and that... it's like, who, who, make, who makes your, your wife make your lunch? No, I'm not married. And you think, Come on. Because this is his job. Yes, this yes. is his life. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, he's he's great in this episode, especially yeah, when they think they're gonna catch him and he's practically like jumping up and down like a I was gonna say an elf. <laughs> but but like, I, <laughs> I don't mean to be a jerk. But you know, he's he's very excited. He's like, We got him, we got him. And, oh, and- uh, you know, it's just, this is just a reminder. And I remember when we were watching this episode, I, I turned to my wife and I said, you know, Burgess Meredith is good in everything that he's in. Yes, yes, yes. And I, I just, um, I, I recently finished writing a, uh, a uh, bit over at my website about a Twilight Zone episode that involved him, mm-hmm. and there may actually be another one I'll be working on oh. shortly. So I've, yeah. I've kind of got Burgess Meredith on the, the <laughs> mind, but uh, he is, he really is. I, I, I can't think 
offhand of a bad performance I've ever no. seen him give. I can't think of one either. Yeah, he's he's just he's he's the perfect um, perfect person to have at the center of all of that um, because although he's clearly older than everyone else, he he is energetic and sprightly when he mm-hmm. needs to be. But he has that sort of when he needs it, there's a gravitas there. Yeah. And um and and our probes uh, uh, respect him, which is and always as, helpful. As we know, when they're in danger, he gets very paternalistic toward them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If we remember how he talked uh, Lockwood out from behind the Iron Curtain. Oh a yes, few episodes yeah, the bull, the bull, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. This one, this is the one of the things I like about this episode is that um I think it, it was a few episodes ago we were talking about how not every probe agent probe assignment can be you know the economy of the world is going to collapse you know or um they're going to blow up the building some of them have to be things like hey find out if this rich guy is still alive mm-hmm. and i kind of kind of like that the plot like you know, you know there's some fighting here and there and there's some elements of danger but the main plot line is like is this guy still alive and then occasionally meeting up with like his biggest rival who's like is he still alive or what's you know going on this there's something kind of it's a fun episode to watch because uh, it kept me interested throughout but um at this at the same time the 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 danger level is never so high that you're going to start shaking or anything you know it's it's just some businessmen over here some businessmen over here and and you know and 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 grover and 99 going sort of in between them and eventually learning well, what rem- getting getting an answer yes and you know what it reminds what it reminds us of too is that this organization is a four higher outfit yes. They're yes. not. They're not. Despite the tendency to want to look at them this way, they're not a government agency. Mm-hmm. They need clients. They're hired by somebody who wants a job done. They're really. I like to think that you know when Lou Wickersham disappeared from Mannix, <laughs> uh, Joseph Campanella was originally uh, the for the first season. I like to think this is the where he went. That that oh. this is all a product of his. He just took it to the next level. Okay, and do, do you think it's sort of like the um, like one day someone just shows up, like with Bianca or something? Someone showed up and had a card, and said, "Call this here. We've got a chance for employment." And he's like, "Okay, yeah, whatever." You know, and, they, and it's well, world security, so you don't know that could mean anything. Yeah, it could. And what they really are, what it all all boils down to, and we'll see this even more clearly in an episode or two, and we'll get to that at the appropriate time. But what you understand is that when you strip away all of the exotic locations and the extravagant criminals and all this other stuff going on, what they really are are high-tech private investigators. Yes, exactly. Yeah, this and could be... Oh, sorry. They that this is what what this is what the original premise of Mannix would have looked like oh, if yes, it was the, carried out yeah, to inter- end to tech, the ninety ninth power. Yeah, what was the yeah, name inter- of that? Inter-tech, I think. Inter-tech, yeah. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And and obviously he was supposed to be ahead of his time, Lou was yes. in putting together the use of computers for to help private uh, the detectives. This, this is just 
the next evolution of this. Mm -hmm. And you almost think like uh, if um, if the if seventy seven Sunset Strip and all those other shows had gone strong all the way through the sixties into the early seventies, this could have been mm -hmm. one of those shows. I don't know. Absolutely. They, you know, they, they, and, and it would have been befitting be the technology. It wouldn't have been in one city. It would have been the world, kind of. And, the, and there we have an opportunity to consolidate a few more separate universes. Yes, exactly. Oh, my gosh. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine the guys from Bourbon Street Beat and Search? I could see that. Could you see that? Oh, sure. <laughs> and Stu Bailey. He fits mm. right in there. Yes. Oh, wow. That would be fun. I mean, and you could see that, too. Like, in 1958, when seven, I think that's when 77 Sunset Street. Yes, it yeah. did, right. Yeah. Um, you know, they there there was a you know very specific way they did the private eyeing. But in 1972, all bets are off because we got the cameras and we got the ear implants and all this other schnaz that we got that's awesome. And we have a whole room full of people. Not just, you know, like kooky standing by or something like that. We got a whole room of people who are going to help us out. And um, I like that concept now. The more, more I think about it, Search is the final phase of the Warner Brothers detective shows. Yes, that's exactly it. And we've seen them go all the way from having a phone in your car to having a transceiver implanted in your head. Yes, Oh, just think about that. And I mean, and and this this too. I mean, it's fantastic too because it's obviously like you know, it's um, it's you, you're thinking this is after two thousand one, so we're all space age now. So this is the sp yep. this is this is the spot you would go to after. Oh wow. Oh, I like that concept. I like the concept that if 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 the detective shows could have just kept going throughout the second half of the sixties. Yep. If if they, if they one if they could have just come up with a couple more cities, one in Detroit, a Chicago one would have been fun. Oh, that you would know, have been perfect. You know, and 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 we could have we could have had Duluth. Yeah, Duluth it. Duluth Central. We got the boys and <laughs> the boys in Duluth are on it. Sorry, anyone listening from Duluth, I just think it's a fun name to say. You know, and we could have branched out. We could have had one like in um, a Toronto. Or even even like uh, right over the border into Mexico or so we could have had all these different places and then search would have been the one that combined all of them and sent us around the world. Well, do you remember the uh, the Delphi Bureau? That was with Lawrence yes. Luckenbill. Yeah, yes. he he um, counter espionage. Well, you you know that what you do is you you get some of these these shows that are that take part overseas in mm -hmm. Europe, maybe in South America. Somebody behind the Iron Curtain. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm liking this more and more. I think about it. Hmm. I, 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 um, I see somebody or somebody's writing about this at some point in time. It's too good uh, to waste. Yes, yeah, it is too good. Of, it, it, is, <laughs> it is too good of an idea to waste. A wink, wink. <laughs> It was, I mean, because it works, doesn't it? I mean, j just even the format, like three yep. main guys. Now they don't, they never meet, but three main guys sh like sharing the, 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 the stories and things like that. And and I like to think that if if search had continued for another year, you might have seen those occasions when 
Grover yes. would pop up as the guy who was driving Lockwood away from East East Germany. Yes, or yes. Just little cameos like that. Oh, think... oh, and we could have gotten It Takes a Thief, too. Yes. Uh, I mean, I think I think when we talk the... Um... <laughs> When we talk the uh, the the bullet episode, or no, was it the bullet? I think it was the bullet. Where, where we had the the concept, and I, I still, um, when I was listening to us talk about it, I I love the concept that like one episode would end with some sort of cliffhanger, like like this is Bianco's episode, and it ends with a cliffhanger. He's going to get killed, and then the next one would begin maybe like. And I don't mean to go sort of Stephen Moffat, Doctor Who on everyone here, but you know I love that era of Doctor Who. But suddenly, like the next episode would begin like six hours before that one, as yeah. they're calling in Lockwood, and they're like, "We think he might be having trouble." And that episode is Lockwood getting involved in some fashion, and then halfway through the episode, meeting up with Bianco at the cliffhanger point, and the two of them meet up and go through the rest of the episode together. You know, variations like that. Yeah, you could have you could have done a trilogy of episodes with all three of them. And you could have been telling the same story of the same case each week with getting a different portion of the case revealed to you. Yes. I mean, it's like, uh, if, 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 if you're not a Doctor Who fan, it's like, uh, I think it's the first, the fifth season of the X-Files. At the end of the fourth season of the X-Files, forgive me, the cliffhanger is that Mulder has shot himself. He's committed suicide. The fifth episode, the first episode of season five is Redux. And Redux takes us like 12 hours before the end of the previous episode and shows us everything leading up to the end of the finale. And it's very different than what we thought it was in the previous episode. And it would be something like that where um, I, I, lo I like that concept that we might... And then you'd get up to the end of the second episode and you'd think Lockwood... And Bianca were getting out of it, but then they're caught in a cliffhanger. And then the next yep. episode begins mm -hmm. with Grover getting called in, and maybe they have to be specific, like you know, tw you know, this is set four hours from the second cliffhanger or something like that. You're like, wait a minute, so that's four hours of the second cliffhanger, you know, and maybe that's like eight hours from when the previous episode began, you know, and, and you'd have to sit there and four hours. I, I love the just make it more and more complicated. Well, and I just I love it. The, and the the, the um, perfect part of it would have been that at some point during all of these episodes, it becomes obvious that Cam is the only one who knows everything that's going on. He's yes. he's he ha he's he's kind of like Sylvester McCoy's doctor in that you you he's, yes it dawns on you at some point in time that he knows far more than he's letting on. And yes. in this case, it would be that that each one of the agents has their own piece of the pie, but Cam is the only one who knows the whole pie. Yes. And, they're and we find the story out through him. That would be interesting, yeah. Oh, my gosh, could you imagine if there were a fourth part? And oh. you think, who's the agent going to be? And then, in like, it's Cam. You know, not that he's not that he would go out in the field, but, but like it's the his story. The and the, at, at the at the end of the at the the fourth episode would be showing how he coordinated everything and got us to the point where we are at the end of the third episode, where maybe we're all going to be okay. And then they are all okay, by the way. We're not. No, we're not killing off anyone here. No, but no. But, could you imagine that would be crazy? I'd love to write that. That would be awesome. Because it would be. 
Because just the first episode seeming like just a regular episode. But there's a cliffhanger. And then the second episode brings in a second character. And you're like, okay, he's being brought in. We get what they're doing. But then when you get to the second ep- end of the second episode, you realize something much bigger is happening. Then the third one, they bring in someone else. And this is bigger than we could have ever imagined at the start of the first episode. And then in the fourth episode, you get the the, link, the linchpin that, yep. that whoosh, whoosh, weaves in over here, over here, over here. And the day is saved. Oh, well, wow. And you know, th- you remember in in the Bond films, mm-hmm. what an impact it makes the first time you ever see Q outside of the yes. office. Yeah. And that would be... You a, only live twice, is that? Or? I think... I don't remember oh. which one it is, but you know, <laughs> it happens. It happens a, a couple, three times. But there's mm-hmm. that first time that he's outside his element, and mm-hmm. imagine if the, the the one of the climactic parts of this yes. whole story, Cam in the field, actually shows up. Yes, it might even just be momentary. But suppose that they're going in to meet the operative in this secret suite where they're going to find all this stuff, and it's Cam. They're on site to wow. go with all the plans, and he's going to run the show on location. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, I oh I love that. Yeah, like um, yeah, like uh, wow, yeah. I liked. <laughs> I like. Yeah, he's I mean, got I, in the field to do yes, this. It can't yes. be done from from probe headquarters. Mm-hmm. Wow. I like that because because you, you could and because you could either do it where like he's there. Like I for, I forget. There's one where they're like everyone's in like a submarine. Oh no, they're in a abandoned like a sunken ship or something. I think. I forget which one that is. And Bond goes into the ship and all the sets are tilted. Yeah. And like everyone's in the ship. I forget which one that is. Um, how, why you know I I can remember which action scene is which generally unless they're skiing, but um you know as far as other elements of Bond films, the Bond films don't really work like that, folks. They're they're these big <laughs> conglomerations of scenes, and if you can get to the end and make full sense of everything that happened, you are the best. But that's not really the way they work. They're they're about big set pieces. <laughs> but Diamonds Are Forever is a great example of that, by the way. Yes. I mean, there, there are some moments in Diamonds Are Forever that you watch and you think, how did we get here? What, what is, why are we here right now? <laughs> but it doesn't matter. You just let it carry you away, you know? And, and I will say, Diamonds Are Forever, the car chase through Vegas oh, streets is one yeah. of my favorites. And the scene, it's only like 30 seconds, but that scene in the parking lot. Oh, oh yeah. That, I love that. It's amazing. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a work of art. It really is like one of those scenes that you, um, if if you're not paying full attention, you could you could miss it. But it's like for thirty seconds they do some shenanigans in a, in a packed Vegas parking lot that is is neon genius, and you kind of wish it could have gone on. Like it, it's just one of those things. Like if if this were like a Buster Keaton film or a Harold Lloyd film, they could have kept it going on for another minute, and it would have just gotten better and better. But I understand. They, it's you know, the automotive equivalent of the Three Stooges popping in and out of other doors. Yes, yes. And it's it's um, it's just, it's, it's just a beautiful scene where <laughs> Bond can see something in the lot that we can't see because of our camera angle. And when it happens, you're like, what? And then when he does it again, you're like, what? And it's, it's really fantastic. And, um, <laughs> and anyone who, if, if you ever encounter a critic, or it doesn't have to be a critic, just someone who puts car chases down in movies, 
Tell him to hit the road. Yeah. <laughs> a, a, a good a good car chase is a thing of beauty, my friends. Yeah, it and is. I don't and I don't mean like it like you know ones that are actually like kind of beautiful um, uh, orchestrated ones. I mean even the sloppy ones. You know, just like in a lot of like um, early eight seventies uh, like Italian cop films, you got a lot of great Blazing Magnum is a film that has a lot a car chase that is the sloppiest looking thing you've ever seen <laughs> but it's so exciting it's so exciting it's like they, it's like they gave him like three streets to just tear up but um and there there is a bit of car chasing in in this episode of search but it's a tv show so it never goes crazy this isn't rockford files where you know james garner was always ready to drive through the streets of la like a crazy man <laughs> But so so I think I think I mean honestly I think we could probably go for another hour discussing our version of search at least and the great thing is ladies and gentlemen this is episode 8 we got a lot left so you're going to hear more of this <laughs> but but I'm going to go back to and then we'll wrap up um I'm going to say first off what what are your thoughts on Grover and Doug McClure in this episode well you know the first time we saw Grover he was kind of filling in uh, being he was put into a position of having to take over and this is the first time we get to see him as the the lead agent yes and that's fun and um we also see that that he can be pretty tough but yeah. that that unlike uh unlike tony franciosa he's not infallibly tough no he no. actually he actually gets racked up by some food in this episode. Yeah, guacamole everywhere. Yeah. And it's but, funny when, the scene where he gets beat up and there's guac and he's trying to stand up and it's like he and Barbara Feldman are like slipping yes, on the floor yes. because it's such a mess. Is really some great uh, some great physical comedy. Well, and it's it, what the whole thing accomplishes, I think, is that it's kind of a gentle reminder that he is the junior man of the three that we see on the show, and so he's not expected to have either the acumen of Lockwood or the the toughness of um, uh, Bianco, well, Bianco. Yeah, yeah. But, but but he is, he proves that he's worthy nonetheless and I like his direct approach you know well why don't I just go and ask for an appointment yes <laughs> It's unorthodox, and I think that's the kind of thing he brings brings to the show. His chemistry with uh, Barbara Feldon is really good. It is. Uh, yeah, they're charming together. Or is it Rona Barrett? You know, I, <laughs> yes, exactly. If, yeah. if they're in if they're in Vegas and he's Howard Hughes, then Rona Barrett's got to be around somewhere. Yes. But I'll tell you, she's much better looking than Rona Barrett. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Yeah. But it is, um, and and of course, I will I will defer to you on the discussion of uh, just what Doug McClure's CR stands for. Oh, sure. Let's do, and, and I'll just say I do like Doug McClure in this very much because, like you said, he is. And like I said, this isn't a world-ending um, assignment. It's just, is this guy alive or not? So that's the kind of thing you'd give to a newer probe, I think. Mm -hmm. and, and he handles it very adroitly. I believe, and there's some great scenes. There's, I just, I just had the playing here where um, he thinks he meets um, the Howard Hughes guy, 
um, and it may or may not be, but a bunch of other guys come in and attack. And there's a great moment where all the lights go out. You see the Howard Hughes guy slip out into some back room. And then for a few seconds, you can't figure out what the heck's going on. And then when the light comes on, it looks like Grover's been beat. But then Grover, psh, psh, couple punches, and he's in charge <laughs> again. Um, but uh, so, so, um, so, yeah, so Grover, I, I, like I've always uh, said before, I'm a big Doug McClure fan. From you want you you watch all nine seasons of the Virginian over the course of like two years you can't not um, just just sort of fall in love with his sort of acting style and 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 things and he's got like is he's not like um I don't want to I don't want to say he's ever dopey but there are a few moments where he he has a silliness to him that I like. Goof, but he goof, could, a he, little goofiness. Goofy, yes. I mean, like in the previous one he was in, like the moment when he goes deep into like the bowels of um, the search building, and that 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 moment where he like sets his um, ca- scanner camera, like has it hanging from a pipe, yeah, and he goes like deep in there. It's like, you know, that's pretty brave st- stuff he's doing right there, and he's 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 pretty brave in here too. Although, again, the thing about we're just trying to confirm whether or not a billionaire is alive seems a bit goofy to me but 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 that's part of the fun too I, and i think the fact that his sort of side she's not really a sidekick but but 99 in this is a you know a um you know she 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 writes you know she's a gossip columnist so there's something mm-hmm. about the episode that to me is like it's true the 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 bad guys are very serious which is what i mean that's your your classic, like, why is Abner Costello meet Frankenstein so great? Because the guys are funny, but the monsters are serious as hell. In this, the bad guys are serious. I mean, they're they're the whether it's it's um, the bad guys on the Howard Hughes side, whether it's the bad guys on the 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 other guy's side. I forget his name, but they're all very serious. And there's a great scene where Grover is in the house with the other guy whose name I forgot. Gosh. He's a great guy, and he's and there and he has like a buffet laid out. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's this really great scene where um, the guy's kind of explaining to Grover what's going on, and it's like ham, you know, and it's just like put piling up a plate full of food and eating it, and and, and it's great because Grover is standing there, and after a few minutes, you see him grab like a cherry tomato, pop it in his mouth. He's chewing on the tomato, and then he eats a little his- more seen that go a little further you know I mean, yes i would have loved if he took a plate like a and just just maybe i'll have some ham yeah you know and if if um barbara felden had been in that scene and she obviously she wasn't but if she had been she would have said something like how could you think of food at a time like this and he would have said eat it while you can we're going to need the energy yes. for later on it's such a fun scene. i do i do i actually I, I do like that he does grab some food and then grabs a pool cue and starts playing pool. Yeah. Because because <laughs> by playing pool, he, he the guy putting the food on his plate and staying there eating, he becomes the center of it. Mm-hmm. But once once Grover grabs the pool cue and starts playing pool, the guy has to go to Grover and suddenly it shifts um, sort of the uh, not, not, emphasis isn't the quite uh, quite the, the right word, but yes, the, the the dynamic of it, and because it's fun too, because as he's standing there watching this guy eat, and he pops in like a cherry tomato or something, and you see him kind of look around, and then he goes after the pool cue, so it's almost like he knows that this isn't getting him everything he needs, so he has to, and he, and it's very it's very clever, it's something I I wouldn't have thought of because I would have grabbed a plate 
and got some ham, maybe some turkey, if there was some cheese. I mean, I just, in my mind, as I was watching this the second time a few hours ago, I was just seeing myself being like, um, you know, are, the, oh, are those olives? Are they pitted? Oh, let me have some of those. And then sitting down with him at the table and being like, I'll have some champagne. And actually maybe like taking his glass of champagne and saying like, I don't think you're going to poison the champagne, but I would like some champagne. And I think this one is free for many yeah. boys. Just, wouldn't that be fun just watching him enjoy a meal? Because <laughs> it's a like great that. spread. Yeah, That's yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a very nice scene. I, I like Grover in this because I I think part of it too, and then and then we'll wrap up this this one. Unless we we talked about Barbara Feldman, we talked about the story, we talked about Cam, we talked. About, I think we talked about mostly everything. I I think the thing with the thing I like with 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 Grover here is that I almost I almost look at him as like okay, he's still got some stuff to learn, and so when the bad guy takes you to the buffet. What do you do? You know, I it's like, hmm, I've seen some James Bond films, and I've seen, so I saw The Man from Uncle, at least until that episode with the gorilla in it. You know, I've seen The Man from Uncle. You know, yeah. I know I know the way stuff works. So what do you do? Do you engage him in the meal, or do you do something else? And I like that the fact that if you look at Grover as being, like, a, a the newest guy on here, some of the stuff he's doing is based off of, like, maybe what he saw uh, in the movies. You know, like, remember when J Jethro spends many seasons of Beverly Hillbillies trying to be a double-knot spy? You know, and everything he does is based on what he sees in James Bond movies. That yeah. I, I like I like the thought here that, that Grover's like, I, I can't beat this guy when he's eating because I don't want, I don't want, I may have to be fighting soon and I don't want to fill up on ham. Do you mm. know, or, or mm -hmm. cream products. You know, like he's got, you know, I don't want to, oof, yeah, I don't want to have that in me if I got to get in a fist fight in half an hour. You know how it is. Yeah. And so yeah. it's like, what can, what can I do instead? And you just, it, it, you know, one of the things I've found in, 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 in life and in a lot, like when I write stories and when I write things, is the easiest thing to get yourself out of a problem is just look around. There's probably something there that you don't realize can help you out. And I like this because Grover is like, well, I can't beat the guy if I'm eating because I'm popping cherry tomatoes and he's eating a ham. So I have to <laughs> pool. I'll play pool. <laughs> you just so don't that... get taught these things at search school. No, you don't. You don't. There, there are things. There are going to be moments. I'd like to think that maybe Lockwood and Bianco occasionally teach a class. You know, and they're like, there are going to be moments, guys. You know, if you get if you get drawn into, we call it the um, I, the, uh, what would you call it? like the the buffet tactic? Or no, this there must be a better name for it than that. I was going to say the buffet strain, but that makes it sounds like the Andromeda strain, and we're all going to die. Um, the um, the buffet, I guess tactic, you know, where they enjoy this meal that I've got out here, and and your your first thought is, oh, thanks very much, and you grab a plate. Oh, the plates are nice and warm, but you don't want to do that because it's the bad guy. Look around, think of something else, and I'd like to think that Grover did that. So, and that's I think um, I I I think I'll stop talking here because I think we could go on. Do you have what else do you have on this? You got anything else on this one? Well, only one thing that I saw on um, the Internet Movie Database, which, as we oh. know, is as infallible as Wikipedia, <laughs> tells us that there is actually a typo in this episode. Um, and I'll just read what it says. 
After the footage of Matthews and Barton talking to the reporters at the Las Vegas County Courts is frozen on the screen in probe control, the caption that appears on the screen misspells the location as oh. County Court HS. Oh. Now, it could just be an abbreviation, but uh, it uh, also could be something that slipped by. Yes. Huh. I guess, listeners, you're in charge of that one. Find out what's going on. Why not? We've been talking. We know, we're we're going to wrap it up. Why not? I, I like that. Oh, that's interesting. I have, um, I do, I do know, like, one of the things I note in the, um, the very first scene, uh, that first scene when they show, um, uh, um, uh, George Gaines and them leaving that meeting and they go up the escalator. I do notice that the, like, at the start of the scene, the camera is on the escalator looking down. And so you think someone's going to go down the escalator and everyone's going to rush towards them, but they don't. In fact, the camera's on the escalator because a little later they're going to go up the escalator next to them and that camera's going to follow them. I thought that's that's a bit of a weird camera placement or maybe it's not but it it just felt strange because you think you see camera at the top of an escalator you expect it to step on and something to happen Mm -hmm. but this it just kind of stays there and watches other things maybe it's a probe agent like doing that i don't know not wanting to get too close Mm. um but i i got one more thing and then we'll stop um i love and i won't say how it ends but there's something so nutty about the closing scene which is looks like it's in like a projection booth is actually outside it's so weird it's it's like and this is going to be a slightly strange reference but there's a a film i love a slasher film i love called sleepaway camp and there's a scene in sleepaway camp where a brother and sister are sitting in a bed kind of looking at one another and the either the bed's spinning around or the camera's spinning around and they're meant to be in a bed in in a you know in a in a normal house but as it's happening you can see their breath and Ooh. i've never figured out where exactly the scene was shot but it looks like it was like maybe they set up like a um and other people listening can probably tell me like maybe they set up like the bed on like a spinning platform or something like outside and put stuff around it to make it look like a bedroom and then shot the scene with the camera stationary and the cam- the bed spinning but you could still you could see the kid's breath because it got cold by the time they shot it, and so it's a really weird moment because in this one you see the final scene with the guy who may or may not be the Howard Hughes guys and the bad guys are there and there's a bunch of fighting and there's a bunch of craziness and then and I wouldn't call this a spoiler when the police car arrives it it is it's on the it's on the set <laughs> and so for a second you think I remember the, when I watched it this morning I thought. And you see them get in the car, the car pulls away, and then Grover turns and walks over to the set. And you're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? I miss what's happening here. But it's a weird moment. Won't, we won't go too far into it because it w- might spoil the ending. But it's it's a very strange ending because the final scene is set in an office with like a projector and a giant screen. But it's actually like in the middle of a field or a runway or somewhere like that. It's very odd. But perfectly in keeping with the rest of the episode and the oh, exactly. the Hughesian aura. Yes, yes. To to just make it 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 just the, the moment the cop car pulls away and you realize that you're right there. It's like, 
Where am I? What did I? I'm going nuts. Maybe you are going nuts. But I think we'll wrap this this one up because um, we we've gone on a long time. Sorry about that, folks. We got we're, the next one. We'll keep it more concise. Mitchell, we're going to keep the next one more concise. After more that, I can't. <laughs> after that, I don't know. After that, I don't know. Did we? But um, um, at the risk of extending this, did we ever get around to explaining CR? Oh crap! I forgot. Uh, <laughs> it's. Um, uh, <laughs> Uh, 99 figures it out because um, uh, cause, um, uh, uh, Grover says, well, it's Christopher. And she says, oh. And he says, you know, I don't use it. She says, oh. And with the RB, Robin. And he's like, yes. You're like, oh, my gosh, that's sweet. <laughs> so he's Christopher Robin Grover. Wow. Which is awesome. So uh, leaving, leaving on that, uh, Mitchell, where can we find you online? Um, look me up at it's about tv.com where i write about classic tv and american pop culture and history and tv guides and all kinds of cool stuff and you'll yes. also find a link there to my books excellent thank you so much and i'm we're just going to sign right off because we've been yakking for a while listen to this December 14th, 1986, Peter Patter, episode 5, the penultimate episode of The Seeing Detective. The previous episode ended with uh, little Marlowe, the 10-year-old uh, Philip, calling on Mark Binney for uh, leaving one on the teacher's desk, if you know what I mean. And this episode, let's see, we get more of Nicola trying to uh, convince Marlowe that she's still interested in him to get him to sign away the rights to his screenplay. We get a lengthy word association scene with Marlowe and the psychiatrist. We get we get the singing detective um, as he's singing the Umbrella song, getting a shot at by those two goons. Um, who end up um, who actually end up getting chased out of the club where Marlowe the detective sings and wind up in the hospital watching Marlowe the patient and then they end up running so far that they wind up in the middle of the forest of Dean completely lost uh, meanwhile we get to finally see the scene that um, precedes the shot of the Subway come pulling into the station, the underground, uh, underground, and um, uh, and with Philip running away from his mom, with his mom yelling, we get to see what that's about, and we get a lot of we get a lot of calling back to previous episodes and previous moments and all sorts of things going on and and women being pulled from the water, and we get a lot of the two. Oh, this is this is good. We get um. It's Mr. Hall and Reginald who are on the other side. Mr. Hall's always complaining, always having to use the bedpan. And Reginald's always reading a book. And we learn in this one that the book that Reginald's reading is The Singing Detective. And he has a very brief chat with um, Mr. Marlowe about it. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff, as always, that happens in this episode. But, but um, uh, Marlowe is getting better. And you could tell he, he's moving much better and his skin is beginning to clear up. So that's a good thing. And we will probably learn very soon who done it. But for now, let's join us in a little chat.
Pitter patter, everybody. Singing Detective episode five. Uh, quick, two quick notes. One, we've got some windows open, and so you will hear occasional birds and planes. And two, uh, this is going up. This discussion is going up more or less live. Ooh, I'm nervous. And because normally, if I chat with someone on Skype, I sit there and I get out of the, rid of the uhs and I listen to it second by second. This one. I'm literally going to put this onto the episode and upload the episode within an hour or two of us recording, and I don't see the point in spending a, a half an hour listening to what I just heard us say. Yeah. So, oh, this is Hello. Detective Mo- uh, Madeline Marlowe. That, that's me. That's my fake name <laughs> that's this fake morning. Name. Uh, yes. How are you doing? I'm, I am well. And you? I'm doing okay. I'm uh, ready to discuss Pitter Patter, the penultimate episode of Singing Detective. Um, I never quite figure out... and. And the show will be over before we do figure out the, the best way to discuss these. Is it, um, do we discuss time periods or um, I know, Marlowe's? I, or? I'm always left with more of a feeling than, even mm. though there is, the storytelling is really terrific. Mm-hmm. But the storytelling is part of the mystery in a yes. way. So it's hard to, to talk about uh, in, in real definitive plot line you know what i mean it yes, kind of reminds yeah. me of like pirandello like six characters mm-hmm. in search of an author the the more that marlo recovers and mm-hmm. things become more cogent is that the right yeah, i word? think that's the right word yeah you 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 they feel less dreamlike at the same time you wonder well what is real in quotation yeah, marks what is... and what is marlo constructing in his mm-hmm. mind mm-hmm. uh oh i and... said uh that's okay. That is not going to be cut out. That, that's not going to be cut that out. Was that, alive, uh, 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 <laughs> that was a live. That was a live. It's it's like it's like the opposite of Tristram Shandy, where the more you read, the less you learn. Mm-hmm. And or, or like or, or sort of uh, it's, it's a bit Proust like, where if you get really deep into Proust, there's so much going on, but then somehow at the end, in the last book, Time Regain, he's able to tie it all back together, and it's pretty astounding yeah. to see. And if I remember correctly, I haven't watched it in a few years, but the next episode, Who Done It, which is feature length, this one, this was the shortest one, about 59 minutes, mm-hmm. on, only one under an hour. The next one is about 77 minutes, so that's feature length, and um, I think that's going to be fun. It occurs to me, too, that there's a poster in, we see a scene in Marlowe's um, flat. Yes. Uh, where he's uh, fooling around with the prostitute who looks a lot like Sonia. So if you have children who love the Harry Potter series, oh do boy. not let them watch this. Oh boy. Dumbledore, no! <laughs> no! And, and, what are you doing to that wizard lady? He, so he's in, he's in bed with the lady who looks like Sonia, but she um now she's got sort of, I don't know if Cockney is whatever, but she's got the English accent. Yes. And um and Marlo, even though he's just had sex, he's completely covered because you can tell he scratches he's got at himself. A shirt buttoned up to you can tell the um, to his neck there. Yes. And and they have a poster, and he has a poster in his apartment for uh, blow, blow up. Out. Blow, blow up. up. Blow Darn up. Blow up. Darn it! I know I was going to say the wrong one. Blow <laughs> I, up. I had to focus. And I said, "What's blow up?" Knowing Dan would know. Uh, so blow with up. His encyclopedic is, knowledge of film is the late late sixties Antonioni film. Um. Uh. Sorry, David Hemmings. And it's the film about like a David cool, Hasselhoff. David Hasselhoff, um, <laughs> where he's a cool hip uh, photographer, fashion mm. photographer, and everything like that. And one day he takes. Uh, I, I now I haven't seen the film in five years. So I forget exactly how it conspires. Oh, does he take a photo he takes a that picture captures a crime. Or and way in the background, in like woods, he's in the park. Mm. Someone is being murdered. Um, and so he begins to try to investigate it, and he begins blowing up the photo. But the thing is, each time he blows up the photo, he loses a little more resolution. I know that from Law and Order. Yeah, so you can get closer and closer and closer 
to it, but you lose a little bit more each time it becomes yes. foggier. The closer you get to the truth, the foggier it becomes. Well, how perfect. Yes. So, um, uh, and, uh, of course, Marlo, yeah, would have something like that. It was a hit movie, probably, yes. probably around. Uh, whenever, whenever he was diddling around there, and he is advancing towards some sort of truth about himself. Yes, and he's getting better um, physically. Yes, he still he still has to be picked up and, and things. He his, does, but he does say to close. Nicola comes to visit him, and he does tell her that he's going mad, that he thinks he's yeah. going mad, mm. and I, I I think I probably will jump around a lot. Yes, in this please, because please. it. it well, well, I really loved, he has a scene with a psychiatrist where mm. they do the word association. Yeah. Uh, and it's both very clever and very revealing. He sort of lets his guard down um, mm. because he says it has no meaning. Mm. And yet he gets, you know, words are his life. Yeah. But they're also his, he reveals himself. He doesn't mean to reveal himself, but he yeah. reveals himself. The word, is so, he does a lot of clever ones like, you know, a bed and he'll say lie politician he'll pause and say lie <laughs> and then writer and he says liar uh, so he describes himself in a way as a liar so it makes you wonder how much of the stuff with nicola is real yes it made me wonder how much of the stuff with nicola was real how much he's inventing this uh whether nicola this well, betrayal mm -hmm. Uh, with or or if Nicola is even real, I don't know. Yeah, that that was what I was going to say. Just because there's a moment where you see bodies being the body being pulled out of the river again. At first, you see it; it's his mom, yes. and you see her up on the bridge. And then the second time is Nicola, mm -hmm. and you start to wonder: is she still alive? She does have a scene, I think, previously where she talks with Joanna Wally, there, the nurse, yes. um, which makes you think that she is real. Yes. But then, whenever she leaves the room. Um, she uh, she starts talking in exclamation points right. and question marks with, with Benny, who's trying to steal the script. So that's what makes me wonder if that's an invention of his mind yes. because of his feelings about mm. women that he decides she must be betraying him in some mm. way. Uh, I was surprised, too. She He talks about writing the singing detective screenplay, and she said he said it was 10 years ago, and she said, well, I wouldn't know. That was long before I knew you. So they haven't... I thought they had a longer relationship yeah, no, than that, but no, no. I guess not. Yeah, it's, I don't think it's ever fully, mm -hmm. fully made clear. And um, uh, the um, oh, what was I going to say? Something, something great, no doubt. That was amazing. Oh wow! Maybe do you want to <laughs> throw in a couple of us <laughs> to us, buy some time? Live uh, us. A couple of live us in there. I'll give you a I dollar. Do, and this, uh. th this has the great bit where you, it's it's characters reappear. In, in each of the three segments, the the the, the war segment with mm. the scene detective, the four, 1945 segment with 10-year-old, or whatever that is, with 10-year-old Philip, and then the 1985-86 segment. Um, and and the scene detective isn't Philip, and young Philip is the same as old Philip, but they also feel very different, too, like they're, they are worlds apart, yeah. sort of. But you can see they're sort of the same person. But I do like that everyone changes Benny and Finney and everything like that. But there, there are two characters who can run through all the segments, and those are the two goofy hitmen. <laughs> They're so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. They try to kill the singing of the technical in the beginning when he's singing the umbrella mm -hmm. song. Any umbrellas, any umbrellas today. And they try to kill him, and it doesn't work, and they end up hitting the drummer. Poor guy. Poor drummer. Um, and they end up running for their lives. And they end up running to the ward and watching Philip as he's with, with Nicola. 
and then the nurse, uh, Joanna Wally's character, um, <laughs> goes up asking if they need any help. We have thing, and they just take off running again. That's right. They say, yeah, we've seen everything we need yes. to, I think they say, and then they just take off running in the most <laughs> inelegant way, let's yeah. just say. <laughs> and, and it's great because you see them again at the end, and they've run to the Forest of Dean. Yes, they've run right into the past. They've run right into the past, and as they're there, they hear, and we've heard this before, um, although I don't think we've actually seen the scene but we've heard we've heard both the both his mom and his dad yelling for him at some point mm-hmm. and this is the episode where we sort of see exactly where the yelling is occurring whereas the the dad is yelling philip where are where are you you know he's saying in the forest of dean speak which i can't mm-hmm. do uh we're beast beast or something like that i know be be, be thou be, be. I, I don't know yeah and so he's yelling for philip who's up a tree and then there's also the scene where we learn the the bit in the underground where Philip is running away mm. and the train is and you hear his mother screaming for him, and uh, Philip. And the the episode ends with yeah the, the two guys running into the forest of Dean and they're trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Yes. And then all of a sudden they hear the dad yelling for Philip and they go nuts because it's like everyone's after this That's guy. Right. Everyone's looking for this guy, <laughs> including this guy. Is yeah, looking yeah. For so they so they ran they ran from fiction into the present from the past and now and they've run back to the past but it's like they something they're went like Doctor like, Who yeah it's something like it went back to the future too wrong or something mm. Inst- instead of going back to the fictional 1945 and they remember, went back to the real remember the question the smaller detective asked or oh, yes. the smaller hitman asks will we be able to see the forest for the trees yes yes um, and the other one says I don't think so I don't think so yeah the big the big fella I also the another point we or plot point or thing that happens in this episode we should mention is that Reginald, the, the, oh, yes, the guy great. with the pompadour who sits <laughs> next to Mr. Hall, the very uh, uh, persnickety fellow who can't speak up for himself. Uh, so Reginald is reading a detective novel and mm. he's trying to read and Mr. Hall just keeps bugging him, which is so annoying. Have you ever had that happen? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, I'm oh, sure yeah, I've done worst. it to you. <laughs> oh, I've heard that to you, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, it turns out he's reading the singing detective it's fantastic by p.e marlowe but yes because he's had the book folded over the cover yes. folded over the whole he's been reading it since we first saw him in the start of the first episode but now he just had to, what are you reading and he shows him it's like, <laughs> what? and the nurse uh, uh tells him that oh the author is here and uh points out who it is mm-hmm. but that's a great and then they it's have great. a lovely chat together it's, it's, it's great because philip you see who's so um he gets so angry and he's just so mean and everything but when this when a fellow like patient or prisoner I was going to say for a yeah. second comes over to speak to him you know he's they don't really have anything to say to each other he's Reginald is just there to say I'm enjoying your book can you get, tell me the ending and Marlo's basically no no I can't right. tell the ending but thanks for enjoying but he the book is, for him he's quite gracious he's very him. gracious yeah uh, same with the fellow who helps him get up and down <laughs> the tomatoes uh, guy yeah. tells him it's the tomatoes that makes him sick he's, <laughs> he's very gracious I love that character yeah you know char- that personality trait mm-hmm. uh that there are certain people he's quite yes, gracious yes. and lovely with. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, he said he loves these literary discussions. <laughs> yes, that's <great>. And <laughs> they have, my, I think, your favorite moment, which is, um, what is it? I bet you spend all day sitting there thinking about killing people. <laughs> and Michael Kim pauses and says, yes. <laughs> 
That's <laughs> great. It's his favorite part uh, of the day. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, and, and Mr. Hall, of course, yeah, yeah, berates Reginald for a bit, and then we have another bit of a bedpan issue with the yeah. the, uh, the the night nurse who doesn't. Um, I'm not sure she's a good nurse or not. Every time she does something, it's no. not, she's not very good. And then you get the um, the shaky gentleman, I guess, with oh. the, the Parkinson's yes. or whatever and it is. He, he, he gathers all his energy to finally call the mean nurse. <laughs> yes. Arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great moment. And the, and, the, the, and he does the lead singing when they break oh, into yes. um, uh, You Always, you always hurt, hurt the, the One, one You, you love. love. Yes. And everyone in the ward starts singing it. And um, then it eventually goes back to um, Philip and his dad and Mr. Benny singing it with a little routine they have with a yeah, yes. snap to their fingers and the crowd loves it. Um, see, oh, and you do see um, uh, where as Philip's uh, Philip's skin is getting better finally, and you do get the mention with the prostitute saying, "What's wrong with your skin? There's yes. some, something wrong with you." And there is, um, but you also get when Philip is talking to his mom, waiting for the train. She grabs his arm, and he goes, "Ow!" And she looks yes. at his arm. It looks like he has like a burn on his arm, but it's like the first sign of it yes. beginning, beginning on his, his arm when he was illness. ten. Yeah, yes. and um, and yeah, that that's the scene that leads up to him running away from his mom and her screaming because um, he wants to go back and see he's, his uh, dad, he's, and, and she tells him. You, we're no, never going no, back. No, it's no, no. it's not happening after all this time of sort of not being able to deal with it. Mm. Oh, it's a heartbreaker. Yeah, it's it's really rough because you could see the mom going from you know she loves him and she's trying to be yes. understanding, but she also and she does give him a smack, and she that's does. because she brings he brings up uh, her having sex with uh, Mr. Benny in yes. the woods, shagging, shagging, shagging in the woods. Oh. She gives him a slap that immediately regrets it. And he yells shagging one more time just because, hey, why not yell it again if you've been hit? If, and and if you got away with it, well, kind of got away with it yeah. once, why not? Yeah. And there's a lovely moment where um, they've got the, the camera on a, on a, it looks like it's on a dolly. I don't, it doesn't look like it's on a steady cam, And it's, it's tracking back as fast as it can go as Philip is right in front of it running towards it. Mm. And he's passing all the people on the train. And way in the background, his mom's getting up from the bench and starting to yell for him. And you can see the headlights of the, of the train all coming down at the same time as he's running, running, key, key, right with us, but getting further away yeah. from his mom and the train. It's really a lovely, uh, lovely shot. It is. Shot. It gives such a sense of the you know, movement of the and, the scene and the story and, and what's going on inside of him. Yeah, yeah. his face is, is just... Yeah, and that's like, I mean, you know, um, just like the uh, just like the two gangster guys, you know, sometimes all you can do is get up mm-hmm. and run. That's right. Um, and sometimes you tell your teacher... Yes, that Mark Benny... <laughs> that Mark Benny pooped on her desk. Yes, Mark Benny is going to be in trouble because Mark, Mark Benny, this is, uh, yeah, Mr. Benny's son... And this we heard the and in the last episode we heard him he'll say that Mark Binney did it and we didn't know that that was that was that's right Binney's, Binney's, who who is uh, uh, you know um, that the Binney's obviously have haunted him his his entire that's life that's right and um, when first we practice to deceive yes and tell our teacher he pooped on her desk he pooped on the desk and poor 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 Mark or, or yeah I think his name is Mark right yeah he um yeah it is um he doesn't look um. He doesn't look like the smartest tool no. in the in the shed. He he looks I, like I don't see him as a kid who would be able to stabilize himself adequately to poop on a desk. I don't think so either. I, I think I think he, I think he, I, yeah, and he looks a little yeah, he looks a little slow yes. too. And um, and there's just something too about all those kids in there. It's a mining town, so they're all dirty. No matter how you know handsome know. the boy or how how pretty the girl, they're all dirty. They're all a little dirty. The teacher's the only one who isn't. Mm. Um, 
Because she doesn't have to do the work of the mine. She doesn't probably That's live right. with anyone who's in the mine. Right. She probably, I can't imagine she's married. She might be. I, I somehow think no. Maybe we'll but... find out all about her in the next episode. <laughs> the next one will be mostly although about I, her. <laughs> although I kind of hope it's more about yes, Marlowe. Yes. One of the things I liked about the structure of this episode yes. is that there is a lot of callback to previous episodes. And normally that's the sort of thing you do in a drama like this where you know, you'll know you be right near the ending and mm. all of a sudden someone will get like um, uh, like a, a flash... Some, something will hit them, a revelation, and suddenly you get a series of scenes from yes. earlier in the show, early in the movie, whatever, and that'll lead us to the ending. Now, I'm not saying that the next episode is not going to have a lot of jumping back mm. like this one did, but there, was a, there wasn't a lot of it, but there was a bunch of it, and it made me... It made me feel like, boy, there's going to be a hell of a lot of stuff that goes on in this last episode. If he's doing that thing, which you usually do near the end, like 75 minutes before we're over. So there's going to be a lot. And I I did love bringing in the idea of the reader of the story, you know, via Reginald's reading his book. Mm -hmm. I really, um, I don't know, I really found that very... uh, I I just, I I love that. I I love... (laughs) Just the idea of who's... Who's writing this? Who's reading this? Who mm. is Philip in this story? Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for me to describe, and I'm sorry because you asked me to talk about it, and no. yet it's more of a feeling of a person trying to integrate like their life and what's happened to them, and like he he talks to the psychiatrist about it being fate or accident, mm-hmm. and what's what's the difference? There's not all you can do about it, yeah. he says, but maybe that he does have some agency that he's kind of figuring out through mm-hmm. all of this. Or maybe he's got some patterns that, um, and this is very psychological 2020 talk when, you know, maybe Dennis Potter would be like, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. You crazy self-help lady. Uh, uh, I th- oh, I'm sorry. I said, uh, yeah. that was a um, free, uh, for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I like it too, because, um, I, I, I like, there, there's such a thing, there, there's this thing throughout the episodes of, um. You know, he's written four books, three are out of print. Who reads them? He doesn't care. No one else seems to care. And yet the whole time, one of the guys in the ward is sitting there reading one of his That's books. Right. And is clearly enthralled. I mean, yes. on more than one occasion, Mr. Hall is angry that mm-hmm. Reginald threw up early before this. He's angry that he's reading the book, you know. Yeah. What, what is that book about that's holding your attention? Well, I don't know. I haven't finished it yet, have I? And then when you finally see it, it's a senior mm-hmm. detective. It's like, wait a minute. People are reading his books. Yeah. People are clearly enjoying his books. So regardless of whether it's trash or not. I know. Who, I, I love that because the, I forget who said it, but uh, generality is the enemy of art. I'm being the enemy mm. of art because I'm like, <laughs> who said what? But, uh, you know, that no art makes complete sense in its own time. Mm. And I love this idea of if you're compelled to create something, create it. And people like Sunday in the Park with George, right? Mm-hmm. She says, uh, um, "Let us let others have their opinion. They usually do. You keep yeah. moving on. You know, mm-hmm. you make the thing you need to make. People will feel about it the way they feel about it. Yeah. And even things that are universally panned will find somebody and move them tremendously. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, like I've um, there are shows or whatever that people have told me, oh, don't bother with this, and I've been like tremendously." moved by them and surprised by how moved I am by them Mm -hmm. or like some of the movies you love Mm -hmm. yeah I I, I started to to learn uh, early on to certain like things with like some of the strange movies I love and things like um, some of these sort of insulting phrases that critics will use are like ding 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 I'm going I'm going to watch it and it's funny because there are people now um, I, I do this sometimes too who will 
who will um, put things in 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 the reviews where they seem to I don't know if they've I'd like to say maybe they've read something I've written. Uh, I know some of them have. I actually read a review by a guy who used to read Bling Skull. I, I know it's because we were on like a forum together one mm-hmm. time a long time ago. And he has his own site. And he reviewed he reviewed a, um, a Jaws ripoff called Deep Blood, made by Joe D'Amato, an Italian filmmaker. And uh, uh, around the time... He had the, he had the company to make Troll 2. And this was around the time they made Troll 2 at the end of the 80s. And he said... And he described the film and he got to the end of it and uh, more or less his his final thought on it was I don't know how any film can be so boring and yet so fascinating at the same time (laughs) and he said more or less if that's and if if that triggers you you'll know this film is for you so I was like I gotta I gotta see that (laughs) so so yeah but you you, um uh, the the thing with Marlowe is just this um uh this 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 because because even though he is being you know He's being slightly flippant talking with Reginald about the book, but he is also being very gracious. Yes, and that's got that's got to be really nice when you're when you've gone through so much to to discover that you know like mm-hmm. someone right in here yeah. is reading the is reading and he goes and to so much trouble to discount his writing, his mm-hmm. life, his agency, and but somebody right you know like twenty feet from him is reading his book and enjoying it. Yeah, and he can't deny that it's. That he's in the world, that his mm-hmm. work is in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who? So, uh, who killed her then? Killed who? The the woman who got thrown in the lake. Asked some swine. But, but which one? <laughs> the book is filled with them. Huh. You'll have to read it. You'll have to out. read it. You'll have to finish uh, it. So uh, let's see what. So else. I guess we'll have to finish yeah. the series. Yes. He's telling yeah. us oh. to find out. Oh, very close. Very what close. What do you hope to find out in the final episode? I honestly uh, don't know. Um. Um. What happened with mom and dad? Mm. Um, uh, if Nikola is is actually still around, if there's if if she's still alive, I mean, mm-hmm. we see her get pulled out of the lake, you know, and and it started off when we saw started seeing people get pulled out of the lake early on. It was you know it was Sonia, mm-hmm. and then I think it was the I think it could have been he what, does spend all day killing people. That's true. In yeah, his mind. So, in his mind. Yeah. So. Eventually, one of these might be an All actual women. person. Yeah, one of these might be a person. Oh, who's that's dead. not true. The drummer dies. The drummer, yeah, the drummer does get. But the the shot. women seem more intentional than the yeah. the men who die are. Yeah. The plot I points. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I get the feeling like with the dad that um, there may be no um proper ending. Maybe he never saw his dad again, mm-hmm. or may or may I don't I don't know. But the the way he, last time he sees his dad with his dad just holding up his hand, yeah, um, seems very final uh, to me. Yeah, I guess I'm curious to know how he moves forward. Because mm-hmm. if he's getting better, yes, then What's presumably next? he can leave the the hospital. When he leaves the hospital, what does he do then? And he even talks about with the psychiatrist before he says, "I don't think I'll come here again." He's decided mm. after the sword yeah. association, he's not going to continue. Mm. He said before that, you know, maybe he'd start writing literature. Mm. So is he going to start writing something he regards as more serious or yes. more personal after this? I don't know. Or maybe, yeah, maybe just another detective novel. Or maybe another detective yeah. novel. Yeah. Because they're satisfying. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to just, I, th- I think, well, we didn't cover everything. But I think we covered a lot of stuff. We did. Yeah, the yeah the scene in the, in the club when they're going to shoot. Shoot Marlowe is very nicely done because um, Marlowe's got spinning his umbrella and, and a little obfuscation with He's the umbrella. He's both singing nice. and being a detective at yes, the same, at the same time. time. That is impressive. Pretty great. And, um, you ever seen Columbo do that? No, I have not. No, and he's uh, wonderful. I, I do love Nero the, Wolf. 
No. Never. No. I do love the bartender. Um, Jake uh, and the Fat Man. Yes. <laughs> yes. Every episode. Yes. <laughs> Canon, of course. Um, oh, the bartender. Bar, the bartender when there's the, the shootout is happening yes. and, and the guys are all flailing around because they're up in the balcony and where the, there's this sort of second bar mm-hmm. and they're shooting down and he's shooting, Marlo's shooting up at them. And as they're kind of flailing around and leaping all around, getting out of the way and statues are exploding and people are screaming and running, the bartender's just wiping a glass, yeah. <laughs> looking around. Seen not, worse. Yes, he's seen worse. He's not going to get hit. Uh, they, they already killed got one innocent person with a drummer <laughs> so um yeah i think i think we're we're, we're obviously building up it's it's funny like um i i did think there was going to be more related to the pardon me the poop plot line mm-hmm. in this but it really just comes up poop line. there's yeah there's a scene at the end um where he describes mm-hmm. having seen Benny um pooping and then he, he basically trades places with Benny, and Benny is told if he doesn't well, even if he does he's admit, he's in trouble. He's going to have his lifetime. lifetime. Yeah, yeah. Yes, so, that's all in the deleted scenes. The yeah, poop, yeah, the, the poop poop deleted the poop. scenes. <laughs> but that, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of interestingly done because that's so much of the previous episode, but it's just a small scene near the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and it almost, it almost like I said with the um, with the flashbacks and the moments and the audio bites from previous episodes and the sort of finally learning. Philip and Philip, mm. where those two scenes from, there's almost kind of a feeling of okay, we're cleaning it up and we're setting up like Poro's going to call everyone together, or Ellery's going to call mm-hmm. everyone together and begin his final discussion, and that's almost what In it feels song. like. Yes, that's almost what it feels like here now because we've seen we've got these the the only two people who look like they might be able to actually physically hurt mm-hmm. Marlo. Um, have have now been able to go to all three stories. Yeah. In the same. Um, context. Well, well, we did see them earlier sitting not as the gangsters, yes. sitting watching the dad sing. Mm-hmm. But um, somehow they've been able to run themselves Across all these to all, all, all the different timelines through the fiction as and the through same the nonfiction character. as the same characters who are out to kill Philip Marlowe yeah. or, or P. Marlowe or whatever his the singing detective's character's are name the is. Fates, are they the fates? Possibly, yeah, who are just now learning. That they are, they thought they were just two um, bumbling bit hoods, yeah. Who, who suddenly realized that they can, they they and Marlo are the only ones mm. who can who can move freely amongst these spaces. I don't know. We're going to find out. Like I said, the the last episode is is seventy seven minutes, so it's feature length yeah. episode. I'm excited. And I to guess say. the question I'm left with too is how important is it for me to know what's real and what's yes. Uh, so we'll find out. We'll find out. Yeah, I think Dennis Potter. Uh, no, I have not. Yeah, I've not seen episode mm-hmm. six. In... I trust him and his storytelling, yes, yes. and I'm excited to see where he it kno- takes us. Yeah, exactly. He knows. And, and this too. And keep, keep in mind, folks, that this is not something where it was like he wrote the first episode as a pilot, and then they gave him some right. episodes. <laughs> it's not like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where um, Douglas Adams ended the first series. And then it got picked up, and he had to start it up again for a second series. And then he ended the second series on a cliffhanger, and they never got a third series. Aww. Dennis Potter wrote Sledgehammer, the TV show, did the same thing. It had a huge ending at the end of its first season. They thought they were going to get a third, and the second kind of opens mm-hmm. out the characters, and you never go further. This is very specifically a six-part miniseries that he wrote, and it has an ending. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we're going to be—I mm-hmm. don't think we're going to be shafted. Okay, so I think that's it for this one. What do you, do you have anything else? Oh, I'm just excited to see how he decides to end the series. Awesome. Yeah, me too. Me too. I uh, yeah, I wish I could remember. I don't really remember much. It's been like five or six years since I've seen it. But uh, 
I think I think it is satisfying, very satisfying. Very satisfying. So, yay! So, yay. Uh, so that is the end of uh, Pitter Patter Pitter episode Patter. five. Next up, Who Done It? Oh boy! Who Done It? Oh boy! Who do you think done it, Dan? Uh, and who done what? Who done what? I guess the big thing. A big thing now is what's not been just done who done and it. who done the yeah, what, dunning. What? Who, yeah, I forget. Do you think who it was Mr. It. Hall? I, 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 it could be. I, I do like that. At this point, it's like. It, it really is like, what's been done? Isn't it great? It's like, what mystery are we even solving? Yes, and so the fact that he calls the last episode Who Done It means there is something in that, I would think. Because he could have called it What Done It or something like mm-hmm. that. But, um, or Reginald Lives. Reginald, oh, yeah. That would be The that Many been Lives good. of Reginald. That would have been the Reginald, the Mr. Hall sitcom that followed this, would have been fantastic. So uh, that is the end of this one, folks. Thank you again, Thank you. Uh, Detective. Thank you, Detective. <laughs> detective B. And and let me play you a little. Although I think maybe we're more like the two hitmen. <laughs> wow, well, we could be, yeah. <laughs> so let me play you a little blast, and, and uh, we'll, we'll be running into the past. Yay! Whoa! And that's episode one hundred seven, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. One more episode of Singing Detective left. Who done it? And we will, um, we will wrap this uh, fantastic series up, and then a brand new, good, old, fun time, which uh, series I think you'll enjoy. Uh, we'll follow that. So again, thank you, Amy. Thank you, Mitchell. Thank you, Madeline, for joining me on this episode. And let's see, where are we online? At eSuperTrain1 on Twitter, eventually Supertrain on Facebook, eventually Supertrain.blogspot.com on uh online look at look that up uh, you could you can email me at uh, danny d-a-n-n-y slacks s-l-a-c-k-s at yahoo.com and uh yeah yeah that's about it that's uh that's that's the episode i hope you all enjoyed it we will be back next time with more search more apes and who done it talk to you then mm-hmm.